Welcome to the Sunday morning podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Crawley. This message is by Clive Urquhart. Just want to uh, share this morning for a bit uh, to launch into this kind of autumn season. Everybody's getting back to school. I know some people have been working over the summer. Not everybody's had holidays. But everything sort of begins to gear up for the autumn season, doesn't it? Uh, as, uh, and so many churches do the same thing. But we just uh, want to share some things that we believe God is, is not just wanting to do what he wants to say, but how he, how he wants us to be living going forward. And <clears throat> over this kind of summertime, been praying into to various things. And one of the things I believe God wants to do is, is really build up and strengthen who we are as a church. Every individual, each congregation, who we are together as a people, uh, that we're strengthened in our faith, we're strengthened in our resolve, uh, we're strengthened in in what we believe, uh, in our convictions, and we know our convictions, they come from the Word of God, Uh, they come from who God is as He's revealed to us in the Word. And so God wants to build us up, He wants to strengthen us in our faith. And we're going to go through uh, the, the book of Ephesians, the letter that, that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in, uh, in Ephesus. Paul had lived there for two or three years himself. He established the church there with others. And he writes the book of uh, Ephesians when he was in prison. And he's writing to them and understands the culture, the context in which the believers are, are living. And he knew that they needed to be built up and encouraged in their, in their faith. And Ephesians, there's, it's just really rich uh, revelation as to all that God has done, who a believer is and who the believers are together in Christ and, and what that meant then to live in the face of a very challenging culture, to express that life out to, to the people in the city Around and so we're gonna we're gonna base the the content, if you like, of our Sundays around Ephesians. There'll be lots of other scriptures and places in the Bible that we're gonna bring into that to reinforce what God wants to do and what He wants to say uh, into our lives. And and when God was speaking to me about this during the summer, going through Ephesians and everything, I was saying, why exactly do you wanna do you wanna do that? And we were during August reading through. Matthew's Gospel and uh, as part of our reading plan this month we're going through Luke we're going through loads of in Christ scriptures just to build us up and encourage our faith so the reading plan is on the website just click on there kingdomfaith.com and if you go to the reading plan you can every day just get into the word meditate get built up get encouraged and spend some time just allowing the Holy Spirit to build you up to encourage you but as I was reading through Matthew's Gospel, I got stuck on chapters 8, 9 and 10. And as I was reading those, not just the days that we were in those particular things, but I just found myself going over those for the following couple of weeks. And, and this morning's message is kind of based around those three chapters. And it's the reason why that I believe God wants to us to focus on Ephesians through the, the autumn season and why he wants to build us up and encourage us in our faith. Let me just read this for a moment. Ephesus was prosperous, sophisticated and highly cultured. It was the leading city in the wealthy and populous Roman province of Asia, one of the most precious jewels in the Roman Empire's crown. It was a centre of pagan worship and centred around the goddess Artemis and more than 50 other gods and temples with sexual immorality and witchcraft being core and prevalent in those temples and in the lifestyle of the city. Paul understood that place was not an easy place to live as a believer. Not an easy place to proclaim the gospel, to express the gospel. And even in the book of Acts, Paul and others had a lot of opposition in Ephesians. And whenever they were preaching the gospel in different ways, in different settings, in that city and in that region, 
There was a lot of opposition that rose up to come against them. Often they were, they were beaten, they were put in jail. Uh, there was persecution that came their way. But yet at the same time, they saw phenomenal things happen in terms of the amount of people coming to Christ, the degrees of miracles that were taking place. If you like, the breakthroughs that were happening in people's lives and the amount of people that were coming to know Jesus and the way that the city and that region were affected with the gospel. Now, the kind of Christianity that they lived and the opposition that they faced and the degree of things that they saw happening in terms of salvations and miracles and breakthroughs, that is not the kind of Christianity that we're accustomed to in this nation. We, we actually live in this nation a very comfortable Christianity. At the heart of a lot of our Christianity uh, can be self-preservation, uh, the fear of man, preferences. Uh, we generally, as the church in the nation, very often, if we're not careful, we can have an approach where we want everybody to like us. Uh, we want our local authorities to like us. We want our communities to like us. We want every different group and out there to like us. And there's nothing wrong with the church being liked uh, because of what God is doing. But underneath some of that, if we're not careful, we go out wanting to be liked and therefore we live and we do and we say things in a certain way yeah that don't necessarily fully represent who Jesus is and what the gospel's about. And, and therefore, we can preach a gospel that is acceptable to people rather than a gospel that makes them acceptable to God. Now, in saying that, it doesn't mean that we go out with a gospel to antagonise people, to wind people up, to annoy people. It doesn't mean that we live and do things in a way that... It's just stupid in that sense, okay? Um, and so Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and we're going to come to this over the next few months, obviously, and unpack this lot. Um, and he writes to them knowing the challenges that they're going to face. And I just want to ask us a question this morning, and then we're going to get into uh, Matthew and some other scriptures. I just want to ask us a question. How many of us want to see more than we are currently seeing around our own personal lives. Let's be honest. Six, seven, eight of you. The rest of you, obviously, you're happy with what you're seeing, right? How many of us really want to see more than we are? Okay. I believe there's some things that God wants to do in our lives. Some, how many of you love the word pruning? <laughs> All right. Why do you prune something so that it can be more fruitful. Sometimes it, when we don't prune, some things on the outside can actually look like they're doing okay. But if you get beyond what, the, what a bush or a, a flower or a plant looks like on the outside and you get underneath it a little bit, sometimes you find there's some dead wood, there's some dry bits, there's some things that are no longer producing life. Maybe they're on the outside it's looking okay, but when you dig inside a little bit, you realise mm, there's some things that are not quite right here. So that's why we prune. We, we cut the things back so that anything else that might be dead wood or not producing fruit, we cut it back so that new life can be produced. And, and we're right at the beginning of a, of a week of prayer and fasting. And when Jesus fasted, he, he didn't fast for something. He didn't just fast for a moment or for a breakthrough or for a result. Jesus fasted into a relationship with his father. He fasted into a lifestyle. A lifestyle that was yielded to the father. A lifestyle that was submitted to the father. A lifestyle that was listening to the father. A lifestyle then from that place was obedient to the father. A relationship of loving obedience. And so Jesus fasted into a yielded, surrendered, listening, loving, obedient lifestyle. 
that produced breakthrough. It produced overcoming life in others. It produced healings and salvation. It produced deliverance. So he didn't fast for a deliverance. He didn't fast for a healing. What he did, he fasted to make sure that he walked with the Father in intimacy, yielded, listening, obedience. Jesus only said the things he saw his father doing. He only did the things, uh, he said the things, sorry, he heard his father saying, only did the things that he saw his father doing. And as we're going to unpack in, in these couple of chapters in, in 8, 9 and 10 of Matthew, we find that if he only did the things he saw his father doing, often Jesus had opposition, he had persecution, he had death threats, he had all kinds of things coming against him. But yet the Father led him to do those things, knowing that there'd be opposition, persecution, death threats in different ways. So our prayer and fasting this week is is we're not fasting for something. We're not fasting for a breakthrough. Like I need healing, so I'm fasting to be healed. What we're doing when we fast is we're setting other things aside so that I make time to cultivate that intimacy, relationship with Jesus. And in that place of intimacy, things are conceived in our lives. So in a marriage, in a relationship, if there's not that intimacy, there'll be no conception of life. And it's the same spiritually in our relationship with God. As we, as we, if there isn't that intimacy in our life, we won't be hearing God in the way that He wants to speak to us. We won't be discerning and, and, and perceiving things in the way that He wants us to perceive and discern things. We won't be aware of things in the way that God wants us to be aware of in terms of how we're living, what He's saying and, and what is going on around us and everything. And, and so that intimacy is so key because in that there's a place of conceiving. When life is conceived in the natural. There's a process that then takes place for what is conceived to begin to grow and develop and to begin to form in that person in the, in the womb. So there comes a point of birth and delivery and release of that new life. Now I'm not saying that whenever God speaks it always takes nine months for that to develop and come into reality. But when he, when he works in our lives and in that place of intimacy and listening and yielding and, and bringing captive all the thoughts and opinions and all the stuff of the hour, the day and all that we live in and, and all the pressures and circumstances, we're yielding that and bringing it under the mind of Christ, under his lordship and, and then in that place saying, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? Things begin to get conceived in us in a fresh way and the Holy Spirit begins to develop and work in us. Faith begins to rise in us. Convictions about things begin to become stronger. A conviction of who Jesus is. There's some convictions. If I said to you, is Jesus Lord, what would you say? Now, could anybody dissuade you that he is Lord, that he is Saviour? It's a conviction in your life. But if I said to you, believers lay hands on the sick, let's all go and lay our hands. You you know that in your mind, but would we go and do it? And there's a difference between knowing and believing. And when we uh, cultivate that intimacy with God, we move sometimes from a place of unbelief to a place of faith. We move from a place of self-preservation where maybe the fear of man has had more of an effect on us than the fear of God. The fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God. The fear of God is like a reverence, an awe, a revelation of who He is. And in that place of of revelation of who He is, the the fear of God then takes precedence over the fear of man. So let's have a look at some things with uh, with Jesus. Matthew chapter 8, all I'm going to say to do with Jesus for this first moment, it all happens in one day. The amount of stuff he sees happen and the amount of opposition that he he gets. So Jesus, the beginning of this particular day in chapter 8, verses 23 to 27, he says to the guys, let's go over to the other side. They jump in a boat, they're going to the other side. Obviously the Holy Spirit has said to him, I want you to do something on the other side of the lake. So jump in the boat and go over there. So they get in the boat. On the way, there's a storm. Jesus is asleep. The disciples are freaking out, even though some of them are fishermen because of the storm. And, and they wake him up. Aren't, aren't, you, uh, aren't you aware we're going to drown? Jesus wakes up, calms the storm, 
he's a bit like, you know, guys, he rebukes them for their unbelief. They get to the other side. How many of you know that when Jesus speaks, one of the reasons he speaks is because he knows there's going to be storms on the way between what he says and when we get there. But all he said is, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. That's all he needed to know. And so he was at rest and went to sleep. Knowing we're going to, no matter what comes, hell or, hell or high water, between here and there, we're going to get there. And one of the reasons it's so important to cultivate that listening voice and hearing from God is because sometimes circumstances in life, things happen that seem to contradict what I believe or what I know God, the Word of God says. Circumstances seem to rise up and say, no, that's not true. The facts are this, but yet you know God has spoken, so you know there's truth in there. And, and we know one thing from God can overcome many lies from the enemy. One word from God can overcome a lot of circumstances that then want to say, no, it's not possible. Anyway, they arrive on the other side and two guys, demon possessed, pretty violent. Nobody knows what to do with them. They come to him, they bow down. The demons recognise who Jesus is. And they say, what do you want with us? And uh, there's a bunch of pigs there. And most of you are going to know this story. They say, if you're going to cast us out, put us into the pigs. And so that's what Jesus did. They ran into the water and they, they drowned. Now, we would all think that the people would be so thankful to Jesus for setting these guys free who are demon possessed, causing a lot of problems, very violent and a threat to everybody around there. But the whole town comes out it's, and the people of the town said, Jesus, go away. We don't want you. Go away. Leave our region. So they reject him. What does he do? Gets back in the boat and goes to the other side. When he arrives on the other side of the, uh, of the, the lake, a paralytic guy is brought to him. Some friends bring this paralysed guy. They put him before him. And uh, he says to this guy, your sins are forgiven. The religious guys are freaking out. Who, how dare you say that? What right have you got to say something like that? How many of you know the enemy loves to accuse, accuse, accuse? One of the accusations he brings against you and me is, how dare you say that? What authority do you have to be able to say these things? Because the enemy wants to silence the power of God. He wants to silence the authority. He wants to silence God at work. Anyway, so he says in that moment, knowing what the Pharisees are thinking, and he says, Knowing that the Son of Man, what a statement to make to them, knowing that they understood what that meant, the Son of Man. Knowing that the Son of Man, the Messiah, basically what he's proclaiming to these guys in that moment, can not only forgive sins, is it easy to forgive sins or tell the guy to get up and walk? And then he says, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the guy immediately at that that moment stands up and he is free, he's healed. Now just picture the moment, there's a crowd There's the guys that are opposing him. Jesus in that moment, being led by the Father. Remember, he's being led by the Father. He sees this guy walking and therefore he's going to command him to walk. And it's in that moment that he could bow to the pressure of the religiosity he could have been thinking in his mind, so what happens if I say that and nothing happens? They'll ridicule me. They'll make fun of me. The religious people say, there, told you, it doesn't work. How many of you have some of these things going on in your mind sometimes? Three of you. Anybody else? I have have this stuff. We were in a situation um, last weekend and Jane and I on the way, we prayed and we said, Father, if there's anything you want us to say to people or anything you want to do, we're available. And within about 10 minutes of being in this situation, uh, I ended up in a conversation with someone and they don't normally, and I know this person, and they don't normally ask me about anything to do with what we do or, or, or anything like that. And within a few minutes, this person is uh, talking about something that happened in their life a few months ago. And as I'm standing there, I'm, I'm like, Holy Spirit, what do, you, do, you, do you want me to pray for him? And I felt God say, yes, but not yet, just wait. And, um, and it was a healing issue. And he was kind of talking about what was going on in his, in his life at that moment and the restrictions and, that were happening as a result of this injury. 
And I, but I felt God say, just wait, just wait. And so I'm like, okay. And there's a few other people who don't know the Lord there around in this, com- just talking. And in my mind, what started to happen was, mm, none of these guys are believers. And I know that some of them are not really sure about us anyway, as how we live in and what we do and all this kind of thing. And, uh, <clears throat> and then, uh, then he just asked me, are you still doing that religious preaching stuff? <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah, I'm still doing all of that, yeah, yeah. How's that going? And I'm thinking, oh, he's never asked me this before. I said, yeah, it's going all right, yeah, you know, is the church still there, is it? It's still, still, you know, yeah, yeah, it's still there. And, and, we, and I just felt God say, tell him a story about how you got healed a few years ago. And, and so I said, look, can I just tell you a story? And, and I told him this story of what God did, which was a similar kind of injury that, that he had. And how God, somebody, a couple of people prayed for me. And within a few weeks, <clears throat> it was impossible. What they prayed is impossible in the natural. I was supposed to have an operation to pin all this stuff and without going into details. And anyway, so I said, can I pray for you? And I, everything in my head is going, you're going to look an absolute idiot if nothing happens in this moment. And, um, and I said, can I pray for you? And he's like, and part of me was hoping he'd say yes, and part of me was hoping he'd just say no. <laughs> and, uh, and because this is a reality, right? Of, yeah, yeah, of, and um, <clears throat> so he said, oh, yeah. And I was thinking, I said, can I pray for you now? And he thought I meant, can I pray for him some other time, you know, when we're not around? And I said, no, can I pray for you now? And he looked at me, yeah, all right, yeah, yeah, sure. And then he said, what do I have to do? I said, you don't have to do anything. You just, um, just stand there. And I said, look, I said, in the Bible, it says that believers, I said, I, I believe in Jesus, you might not, but the Bible says believers who believe in Jesus can lay hands on people that are not well and God heals them. He's like, all right. So I said, can I put my hand on your shoulder? And and so I put my hand on his shoulder and I just just simply, I said, thank you, Jesus, that you heal his shoulder and all the pain goes and and that you correct everything that is out of place. And and so I asked him after that, how are you doing? And um, he he moved his arm around and and I said, were you in pain before? He said, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's pain there all the time. I said, how's it going now? And he goes, it's gone. And I said, completely. And, and he said, well, if I put it right there, there's a tiny bit of pain, but yeah, I can. And, and you could still see some things out of place. And I said, look, I'm going to carry on praying for you that physically all of that. I said, mine took about two or three weeks and it all adjusted. And, and when we saw, when we went to the hospital, the word they, they used to, when my dad and I went in there, the word they used, the only word we can use to describe what's happened to you is a miracle. Amen. And then we told them that we prayed and this, that and the other. Now, this is real for Jesus. It's real for you and me. It's real for the early church. We can't just pretend we, you know, that we're, we're, the enemy doesn't want us to do stuff. That's right. Anyway, let's move on. He then, from that scenario, with the Pharisees coming against him, plotting now to kill him as a result of that, he then calls Matthew, the tax collector. He goes to Matthew's house. He's with loads of other tax collectors and sinners, as it says in the Bible. And in that moment, while he's talking with them, again, the Pharisees turn up, people that are going to have a go at him, give him a hard time. What is, what is this guy, says to the, they say to the disciples, what's he doing with these people in their homes? And Jesus hears what they say and basically says to these guys, look, um, I've not come for those who are well, I've come for those who are sick. So go and learn what this means. I don't, I'm not after sacrifice, but I'm after mercy. Go and learn what that, that means. Jesus goes into that moment knowing he could be misunderstood. His reputation could be on the line. You know, people, he's, he's hanging out with these people. And if you hung out and ate with people like that in that day, it was like you associated yourself with them. I am one of them. I live like them. I, you know. And so for, for people looking on, it very much looked like he is identifying with these people in that way. And therefore, you could say he's, he didn't mind a reputation of being misunderstood. None of us want to be misunderstood. We all like to be liked. We all want to be liked. <clears throat> None of us like to be misunderstood and disliked. And we, all, we want everybody to like us. But Jesus was more interested <clears throat> in what those people needed in that moment right. 
and the father leading him into that situation than he was what other people thought about him. Jesus was constantly confronted with the the possibility of the fear of man. What are they going to think about me? What are they going to say about me? Here's another context. Again, on the same day, he's on his, he's, he's coming, he's out of the house now and a rabbi runs up to him and says, Jesus, my daughter has died. If you come to my house, you can raise her from the dead. So at least there was one rabbi that believed what he, he could do something. So Jesus says, great, I'll come with you. Let's go. On the way, there's a woman who's been sick for 12 years because of her illness. She's unclean. She's an outcast. She's not allowed to be in public. She presses through the crowd and it says, "If I," and her thinking was, if I can just touch him, I'll be healed, touch his cloak. And that was her point of faith. And so she pushes through the crowd, touches his cloak. Power goes out for him. She gets healed in that moment. And he says, who touched me? Everybody's like, well, everybody's crowding around you. There's loads of people touching you. Yeah, he said, but power's gone out from me. The woman comes and and, uh, kneels before him, said it was me, thinking this, I could get in trouble here because everybody knows me as unclean and I'm an outcast. I shouldn't be out in public. And my life is on the line here. And and, and I love what Jesus says. He says to her in that moment, daughter, he doesn't just say woman or who do you think you are or whatever. He, he calls her daughter. Don't you love that? He says, daughter, um, your faith has made you well. Now, again, they, people could say, Jesus, what are you doing talking to an unclean woman? She's an outcast. How dare you? You've let her touch you. Jesus, you're now unclean. And, and there's loads. Of, this is all in one day. Jesus is just going and doing what he sees the Father doing and saying what the Father gives him to speak. And he's constantly coming up against opposition, ridicule, death threats, his reputations on the line. Now, how many of us want to live a Christian life like that? It's pretty silent in here. (laughs) One of the things that I believe, all of us, and God's been challenging me with this over the last few weeks, we've become too comfortable. I am too comfortable. I'm not going to ask you to confess that over your life. You'll know whether there's a reality or not. Question. Can we see the things that Jesus saw and can we see the things the early church saw happening? Can we see what the Apostle Paul and others saw happening by, be, by living comfortable, no. by being afraid of man no. or keeping our reputation intact or wanting to be liked by everybody. No. Again, just to caveat that, it doesn't mean we go out and be stupid and wind people up on purpose. That's not what, Jesus didn't do that. He didn't want, the only people he really gave a hard time to were the religious guys who were coming against him. Final uh, thing. In, so what, what does he do? So Jairus, the synagogue ruler, he's like, Jesus, what are you doing stopping for this woman? You've got to come and raise my daughter from the dead. And, and so Jesus finishes that moment. He then goes to the house. When he arrives at the house, what does he find? The flute players and a crowd in there. And sorry, I'm just kind of, I'm not reading all this stuff. We haven't got time to read everything. He, he arrives there and... He says to all of them something that's absolutely ridiculous in the natural. They're there because they're mourning she's dead. He stands there and he says, she is not dead, she is only asleep. I mean, in the natural, Jesus, that is, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. You see, what does is, what is faith do? Faith works in the unseen. Reason and unbelief works in the seen. And the enemy, what he, what he wants us to do in our lives is focus on the seen realm. What is around us, what you can see. And, and when God speaks, God always speaks of what is not seen because he wants to bring what is unseen into the scene. 
And he, he doesn't just want to do it through one or two. He wants to do it through anyone who believes. Anyone who, what does John 14, 12 says? Jesus says this. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone, 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 it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, how whatever colour skin, nationality, background, it doesn't matter what your past has been like. He says, anyone who has faith in me, anyone. We've got loads of anyone's in this room. I'm an anyone, you're an anyone, we're an anyone, right? Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. Now, the second half of the verse is even more challenging if you look at it in your own strength. And he will then do greater things than I've been doing. Wow. And, and God challenged me a, a, earlier in the summer about this. And I sat there and I said, Father, can we just park the second half of the verse for a minute and just work on the first half up to the full stop where it says, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. So I'm like, there's some things you were doing that I'm not doing or not seeing to the degree that you were seeing. How many of you are glad you came this morning? Yes. All right. Jesus wants to lead us into a Christianity that we're not used to living. Yeah. Come on. Yes. He's focuses on, he focuses on what he wants to do in people's lives. But he knows because every scenario that Jesus was led into was led by the Father into those situations. And Jesus knew that he was going to get opposition, challenge, persecution, death threats, all of that kind of thing. Yes, yes, yes. Do we want to live that kind of Christianity? Do you want to live where you could be misunderstood by some people? Do you want to live so that people will badmouth you? Not because you've done something stupid to be bad mouth for. When people find out you're a Christian, some people are going to take the mickey out of you and give you a hard time anyway, even if you've done nothing with it. So we might as well do something with what we believe. If people are going to give us a hard time, then just being given a hard time with the fact that somebody finds out we're a Christian and we've done nothing with it. I, I, I know it's weird logic, that. So they laugh at him. Jesus knew if I say this, I'm going to be laughed at. None of us like to be laughed at. So let's just unpack this for a minute. So self-preservation. What is at the heart of self-preservation? The fear of man, okay? Self is obviously me, the focus of it, the individual. Preservation means to keep safe from being harmed. Now there's good preservation, but there's also a preservation that is, can be negative because it, it puts us in a protective place where we, we won't, we can't see God do certain things if we're in self-preservation mode. And, and so preservation here means to keep from harm. It actually means to isolate for protection. So when we live in self-preservation or the fear of man has a greater effect on us than a reverence and an awe for who God is, then, then we go into, we, we isolate ourselves from what God wants to do because we move into self-preservation. And the heart of self-preservation, or some of it, is the fear of man. Um, <clears throat> I've written loads here about the fear of man. We'll just chuck a few things in. The fear of man always wants to lead us in the opposite direction to what the Holy Spirit is saying to do. The Holy Spirit often will lead us to do things or want us to do things, go places, say things. And, and the fear of man will say, don't do that because somebody won't like that. Yeah. Or don't do that in case you fail. That's one of the other things, fear of failure. If I do it, I'm going to fail and fail God. Uh, the Holy Spirit's a little bit bigger than that. Yeah. I wouldn't worry about whether you're going to fail God, okay? Because God knows he just wants us to have a go. Yeah. I think the Holy Spirit would rather us go, well, you had a go. Brilliant. Yeah. Keep going, keep going, keep persevering, keep going, keep going, keep going. The enemy wants to say, don't do that because you're going to fail. It won't go very well. And everybody's going to laugh at you. Insecurity. What is insecurity? Insecurity is misplaced trust. Insecurity means we have a wrong security because if you're insecure here, we've obviously got security in something else. And so we, we want to self-protect. We isolate ourselves. 
And, and insecurity is the opposite to trusting in who God is. So why did Jesus, being fully man and fully God, why every day did he spend time with the Father? Because he was tempted in the same way as we are. He faced the same temptations. He constantly would have had the voice of the enemy saying, who do you think you are? We know at the end of his 40 days of prayer and fasting, the enemy came. There's three examples of what the enemy said. But do you think the enemy just didn't want to use anybody else or works to try and put Jesus off? Every day, Jesus had opposition. And often the enemy worked through the mouths of other people to try and put him down, stop him going forward, being disobedient. Because the enemy knew if I can get Jesus to just do one thing, independently from the Father, or not do one thing the Father shows him to do, then boom, there's no salvation for mankind. I mean, it's a bit of a bigger deal for Jesus, isn't it? And <clears throat> what did Jesus do constantly? Yield, surrender, listened. I want to be obedient, Father. I want to do your will today. Mount of Transfiguration, like after he's been transfigured and, and um, Peter, James and John see him in all his glory, they're freaked out by it. They come down from the mountain. The other disciples couldn't set a, guy, a boy from a demon and, and the, the, the dad comes up and says to Jesus, your disciples, they can't deliver this guy. And for the dad, the demon's the problem. But Jesus said in that moment, oh, generation of unbelief. For Jesus, unbelief was the issue. And in a couple of the gospels, it said this kind only come out with prayer and fasting. But Jesus hadn't done any prayer and fasting in that moment for that situation. But what he'd done, he lived a fasted life. He, he lived and fasted into a lifestyle that included breakthroughs, overcoming, deliverance, healings, miracles, because that was the life that he lived. Could he live that in his own natural self? No, he was dependent on the Holy Spirit in the same way as you and I have to be dependent on the Holy Spirit to see any of these things take place. The fear of man distorts and perverts our perception of situations, of people, of circumstances, and then how we see and reason a given situation. God knows the power of the fear of man. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man will prove to be a snare. Self-preservation, fear of man, insecurities, that kind of thing. I want to keep my reputation intact. I don't want people to be a snare. But whoever trusts, another other translation says, but whoever fears the Lord, it says there, is kept safe. Uh, whoever fears the Lord, whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. So what happens when we cultivate relationship with Jesus? We hear his voice in a different way. Conviction begins to strengthen more in us, a resolve that happens in us. And what begins to happen in us is, I want to please God more than I please someone else. And sometimes you have to bite your tongue a bit, like I did last weekend. In my head was, I knew God had said something to me, and I'm like, I, I, I've, got to, I've got to pray for this guy. I cannot walk away from this and, and, and go home thinking, you, you know, you missed this one in that sense. I know God forgives and all of that, but in the moment, in there, there were, it was going at a million miles an hour. If you do this and nothing happens, they're going to think you're an idiot. That will, that will just confirm you're a religious nut job, you know, you're a religious preacher and all of this. Do you know what I mean? All this stuff, I don't know whether they're going to think that or not, but that's what the enemy wants is going on. They won't want to talk to you anymore. That you'll be, you know, everybody will start, oh, he, he offered to pray and nothing happened and he's a bit of a weird freak and, he, and all of that. There's all that going on in my head. And, and what didn't help was when God said to me, he said, pray for him, but not yet. I'm like, alrighty. And so there were a few minutes between him saying that and me praying for him that the enemy was like, great, I've got about five minutes to really have a go at him to stop him from doing anything. Anyway. Last scripture, 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are saved, it is the power of God. Again, not doing things in stupid ways. 
But are we prepared to appear a bit foolish before others? Because what I read with Jesus, the amount of opposition, the scenarios, the amount of persecution, death threats, things that happened to him. When you get into the early church, which we haven't got time for this morning, when you get into the early church, if you read chapters 4, 5, 6, 7 and 8 of the book of Acts, how the the persecution started in the early church and through those chapters it increases more and more and more. But the more, it's all in relation to the more that God is doing, the more they're seeing. And, and if you unpack that, if you just read those four or five chapters and what the early church were living in, it was phenomenal what they were living in. Thousands and thousands were getting added to their number. Miracles, phenomenal stuff was going on. But they, they, people were getting stoned for their faith. They were getting beaten up. They were put in prison. They were given a hard time. They, loads of them to the point where they were so persecuted, the church was scattered. Um, we can sit here and go, yeah, but we're, this is England. It doesn't happen here. We don't live in Iran or China or somewhere like that. It seems to be the more that God does, the more opposition. And the reason I believe God wants to so encourage us and build us up through this autumn is because he's like, I want you to step beyond where you've been comfortable. Yeah. I want you to step beyond self-preservation and begin to move through that. The other, I want you to step beyond the fear of man. I want, you to, I want you to let your reputation go, what people think about you, how they perceive you. And we do that with wisdom and all of that in the way that we live, right? And just remember that. It's not suddenly, let's go and be a bunch of nutters and everybody hates us because we're just stupid in that sense. But Jesus, if you read through, we haven't got, again, time. If you then go into chapter, he, he, he gathers the guys, gives them authority, sends them to go and preach the good news of the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons and cleanse those with leprosy, right? He then says, every house you go to, if, if they accept you, the peace, my peace will be upon them. If they don't, the peace will come upon you. Then he says to them, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to your local councils and flog you in their synagogues. And he then begins to unpack the opposition, the challenges, the persecution. You'll be hauled before people. You will be put in jail. You will be whipped and beaten. You will be given a hard time. But then what does he say in verse 27? What I tell you, uh, 28, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one, O-N-E, capital O, meaning God, Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Amen. Wow, that's a pretty strong verse. And over this coming week and weeks, so we're having a week of prayer and fasting. Here's another question. God doesn't want us to think about prayer and fasting as a week and whatever that fast looks like for you. What have you believed God has said to you about this week in terms of food and anything else, social media or TV, whatever you're putting aside to focus on who God is for this week and what he wants to say and do in your heart and your life and what he wants to do amongst us. Um, question is, what does it look like to live after the fast? And I'll just read these verses, then we're going to pray. Do you want to just stand? And we're going to just pray together. This is what it said in Isaiah 58. Um, Is this the kind of fasting I've chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself. Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fast I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice untie the cords of the yoke and to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You'll then call on his name and he will answer. You'll cry for help and he'll say, here am I. And it, this sense, there's a whole bunch of other things in that chapter, promises of, uh, of, of living a fasted life, which is what that's about. And, and one of the reasons we have times of prayer and fasting is so that we can do some health checks in our own lives, so that we can draw 
spend some time with the Lord in a way that we might not normally because of schedules and, and whatnot. But one of the things that happens is how we live after that kind of time should be different than how we came into it because of what God's done. And therefore, we're growing in living a fasted life. And sorry, there is one more scripture I'm going to have to read here. Uh, James 1. Um, uh, what is it? James 1, 26 and 27. Some of you will know this uh, these verses well. James is a pretty straight guy in terms of what he writes in his letter. He says, if anyone considers himself religious and does not keep a, rain, a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Wow. So a fasted life is keep a tight rein on your tongue. Yeah. Yeah. Which is no gossip, yeah. no backstabbing, yeah. not ripping other people off in terms of what you're saying about them. If you've got an issue with somebody, go and sort it out with them yeah. uh, in that sense and get right with people. If anyone considers himself... Keep tight. Then 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And there's increasingly people in distress. And it obviously talks about widows and orphans that are in distress. That's another aspect of a very practical living. And then the, the last part is, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's a fasted life separated from the world, not to be influenced by it, to be an but to be an influence in it and to it, to the people. And, and there's some pretty strong commands in there. And, and we can't just try and do that in our own strength. But when we, as we pray and fast and as we worship this week and count nights, Tuesday and Wednesday night, here with everybody, Wednesday in local congregations, as we spend time in prayer and whatnot this week, just yield yourself. Don't focus on self-preservation, fear of man and reputation and all that stuff. Focus on Jesus. I want to know you more. I want to yield. I just yield and surrender afresh to you more. So let's just close our eyes and pray. If you've got kids upstairs, could you go and get them? Is that all right? If you've got kids, if you want to go and get them, if the worship team can come up, that'd be brilliant. And if you want to go and get your kids and just bring them back in here, we're just going to then, we're going to just worship for a few moments. And then once the kids are back in, so that if you have to go and get them, you're not missing out on responding, um, just go and grab your kids, bring them back, and then we're going to just pray for a few minutes and just go through a few specific responses that I believe God wants us to uh, this morning. So just stand before him for a minute. Just thank him that he has put his life and his spirit in you. Just thank him that he is for you, not against you in any way. Now all of us will be aware of fear of man and that will look different for different ones of us. We might be afraid of an individual or we might just generally have a fear of man, what people think about us, our reputation or don't want to be misunderstood. All, all of that is connected with self-preservation and being afraid, being fear. There might be some insecurities and. To deal with things, we bring those things to the Lord. And sometimes working through things it doesn't just take a moment where I just pray and that is sorted. Sometimes there's a process. And, and I think that's where the intimacy is important with the Lord, spending time with Him. Because as you spend time with Him, you just yield, you bring in quotes the negativity, the negative stuff before Him. It's like you're surrendering that, you're, you're recognising it, saying, Father, there is fear of man. I, I, I do, I'm concerned, I, I, I want people to think well of me. I want them to like me. And there's nothing wrong with that, but often the root of it can be in, from fear. 
And it's like, Father, I want to live secure in you. And I thank you that you, during this week and through the autumn, you just give me an increasing revelation of who you are. I want to see you in a fresh way. I want to know you in a closer way. Your voice, your heart. I thank you for that revelation of who you are. And Holy Spirit, I I invite you to reveal more of Jesus. Reveal more of Jesus through the Word and by your Spirit in my life. And as there's an increase of Him, there's a decrease of everything else. It's not, I've got to get rid of that lot so that there is an increase of God. In one sense, it's, no, we focus on who He is, but we know there are some things that affect how we walk with Him and how we respond and how we live in that love and obedience. And so we bring those things to Him, just yield that fear of man to Him. Father, I ask you to forgive me for the fear of man, what other people think about me. I want a good reputation, but I don't want a reputation at the cost of lives being affected because of what you want me to share with them, you want me to pray for them, how you want, whatever you want me to do. I don't want my reputation to come before that. And so I surrender my reputation. I think we can all say this, that we've got comfortable in different ways in our lives. I don't think there's anybody in the room that's, that's in some way not living comfortably or fully living beyond that comfort zone. And so just invite the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you want to bring me out of being comfortable. Thank you for this morning's message that's challenging me where I've become comfortable. It's challenging me in the fear of man, reputation, my preferences. Sometimes we've made choices that are preferential to protect ourselves because we don't want to be misunderstood or we don't want other people. Sometimes that's rooted in insecurities, which again is, is fear. And what's the opposite to fear? It's love. Perfect love casts out all fear. Maybe for some, we need to say, Father, I thank you for a fresh revelation of your love. Your love that is unfailing. And knowing that you are loved by Him, that can conquer fear. So it's like, Holy Spirit, take me on a journey. Take me on a journey of that fresh revelation of your love, the power of it, the security there is in that. So that as you lead me to talk to this person, pray for that person, witness to them, reach out to my neighbours, friends that don't know you, family that don't know you, as, as you lead me into these situations to enable me to see what the Father is doing and to say the things He's saying, I thank you that that love enables me to push through the fear of man. That love enables me to push through the lies of the enemy, the accusations, where, where He says, don't do that, you're looking idiot. Thank you that your love pushes me through that fear. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Sometimes we've not done stuff because of unbelief. Maybe just simply say this, Father, forgive me for my unbelief. I know that you can do things. I know that you can set people free. I know that you can heal people but I don't act on that knowing because of unbelief. And, and, and I ask you, some of, it stopped me, some of that has stopped me because of whatever it is, fear of man and everything else. So Father, I just ask you to forgive me that unbelief. And I thank you that you are the author and the perfecter of faith. Thank you that when you speak, faith is authored and, and, and is released, is, is conceived in me. And so I thank you that you speak to me in these coming days and over these weeks in a fresh way, that faith begins to be authored in my life in a fresh way. I begin to conceive what you're saying in my life in a fresh way that begins to grow and grow and grow and become stronger than the other voices, stronger than circumstances that say, don't do this, don't do that. Father, I thank you for who you are in me. And that he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. <clears throat> so we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Father. We praise your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you. Let's just begin to lift our hands, shall we? Just lift your hands to the Lord. Like you're just surrendering afresh to Him. Just lift your hands in fresh surrender. Father, I yield to you. I surrender to you. I yield and surrender afresh to you, Jesus. <clears throat> to all that you want to do in me. I just invite you to prune my heart. See, some of what we're praying is pruning this morning. The self-preservation, fear of man, all of that stuff. It's pruning, it's pruning, it's cutting off the stuff that stops us from being fruitful, stops us from going beyond where we are and what we've known. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Tuesday night, all the congregation is coming together. We're going to focus on encountering Jesus, meeting with Him. There's stuff he wants to do and say prophetically. There's things he's going to do amongst us as we, we gather. Why? Because we want, a, we want an intimacy with him beyond what we've known before. Wednesday is local encounters in each congregation, but the same focus, to encounter him, to meet with him. I'm sure there'll be some prayer off the back of that for community and neighbours and all that stuff, but we're primarily focusing on, I, I want to be intimate with you so that you can conceive in me who you are in a fresh way that I hear your word in a fresh way. There's prayer meetings each lunchtime here, one o'clock. If, you if you're available and you want to join us, <clears throat> we're going to be here praying at one, worshipping, praying, meeting with God. Why? Because we want to build into that. We want to fast into a, a more intimate relationship with Jesus than all he's saying and doing at this time. Deeper conviction. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Friday evening, we want to encourage you. Meet with others in your homes. Invite others round. Have a meal. To, I know we're fasting, but we can do a little bit of feasting Friday night where we have a meal together, have communion together, pray for one another. Just hang out with each other. Encourage, strengthen. But maybe keep the focus of your conversation around building each other up. What is God doing? What's He saying? What's He doing in your life? Spur. Let's spur each other on. We, I'm, I'm sure we can talk about footy or this, that, or the other, but let's not take the whole time and talk about politics and football and the state of the nation and all of that. Just talking about those things doesn't change anything. That's right. That's right. But when we build each other up and encourage each other, strengthen, you prophesy over each other, you build each other like that, then from that place you might say, hey, let's pray for the nation, shall we, in this moment. And then you're speaking life over it or the town or whatever it is. But let's build each other, let's have some feast on Friday night and And then the triplets. Encourage you, connect with those that you're doing life with, those triplets. Build each other up, encourage one another. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Let's just lift our hands just one more time. Jesus, we exalt you. We praise you. We magnify you. We exalt you over our own lives, over our families, our marriages, our homes, our households, whatever your situation looks like. Just exalt him over it right now. I exalt you over my, my own home and household, my family, those friendships. And I exalt you over my leadership team and all those in the life. I exalt you over the whole body, over every congregation. I exalt your name and your words. You are our life. And Father, I thank you. You want to meet with every one of us in a fresh way this week. Every age group, right across the ages, you want to meet with all of us. I thank you, Father, what you're going to conceive in us this week that's going to grow, mature and be released through our lives. Father, I thank you for the many lives that you want to come to know you this autumn. 
the many miracles and healings that you, you, uh, you can see already happening, that you want us to be the people that are right there being those people. But Father, we know there could be opposition. We know there could be challenge. We know there could be stuff coming at us. But Father, we'd rather serve and honour you in how we live than bow to the lies and the voice of the enemy or to any opposition or challenge that might come our way. And so, Father, I thank you that in these next few days and weeks, a greater boldness and confidence and trust in you will just grow in each of us where, where we're more prepared to say, hey, I'm going to go and do that. No matter what they say or no matter what happens or what they might think, I want to do what the, the Father is doing. And I'd rather that person receive and other people don't like it than me not do anything and something doesn't happen in that person's life. I don't want to live that kind of Christianity. I want to live how you want me to live, by the power of your spirit. And everybody said, Amen, Amen. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.